You are listening to the Total Sports Recall Podcast, where you get sports from a different angle with a Pittsburgh twist. Welcome to Total Sports Recall. I am your host, Harv Aronson, and in this episode, I'm going to take a look at pro boxing's most terrifying fighters, the top 10. Tom, We'll start with number 10, and that would be Thomas Hitman Hearns, who's now 65. It just seems like yesterday that he and Sugar Ray Leonard put on a battle for the ages in one of the greatest fights in the history of boxing. That loss to Leonard affected Hearns to the core, and in a rematch, the result was a draw. But for Hearns, he had one of the most lethal right hands ever in boxing. If he hit you, it was lights out, literally. Just ask Roberto Duran, who took that right hand to the face in their fight and felt like a ton of bricks in the second round. To this day, it's one of the most shocking knockouts of any big-name fighter I have ever witnessed. No one in Duran's 119-fight career had put him to sleep, although he did suffer three other KOs or TKOs, one of which was a result of him quitting in the ring against Sugar Ray Leonard. Before the hitman, he knocked out 48 of 61 fighters he defeated. Roberto Duran was not only the fighter that Hearns brutally KO'd. Just ask Jose Papina Cuevas, who took two brutal right hands from Hearns and went down and out. Then there was the super fight with Marvin Hagler. This was probably the greatest three rounds of boxing you will ever see if you love brutality. Hagler and Hearns went toe-to-toe for nearly nine minutes, and had the hitman been fighting anyone else, he probably would have won that fight by KO because of the shots he landed on Hagler, and because Marvelous had a granite chin, he was able to continue and finish off Hearns with a barrage of bombs. Because he knocked out 72% of his opponents and had the reputation of having one of the most feared right hands in his era, Thomas Hitman Hearns earns his way into this list of top 10 most feared fighters. At number 9, I have Rocky Marciano. Floyd Floyd Mayweather never lost a fight, but the number 9 fighter did not either. Rocky Marciano retired at 49-0. Larry Holmes came close to being undefeated as well, carrying a 48-0 record into his fight with Michael Spinks, but then Spinks upset him for the heavyweight title and beat him again in a rematch a few months later, and Holmes went on to extend his career way past the point he should have. As for The Rock, he was a bully in the ring, aggressive with great knockout power, and he finished 43 of his 49 opponents for a KO clip of 88%. The unfortunate fact about Rocky Marciano is that during his reign, the talent level he, talent level he faced was nowhere near what other champions and members of this list faced. Sure, there were some big names Marciano faced and knocked out, but unfortunately, these men were already past their prime. Marciano defeated the great Ezard Charles in 1954, but Charles was one year removed from retirement and 33 years old. In 1952, a former champion, Jersey Joe Walcott, stepped into the ring with The Rock, and at age 38, he was no match for the young Tiger. Walcott's first fight came in 1930, so he had already had 69 fights when he got KO'd by Marciano. Ezra Charles had been beaten, had been in 98 fights before battling Marciano for 15 rounds, only to lose a unanimous decision. Those fights with Charles and Walcott were also at the end of Marciano's career, but Rocky was the only 29 when he first met Walcott and then Charles two years later. Just based on his ferocity in the ring, however, Rocky Marciano must be put on this list. 
He began his career with 16 uh, straight KOs or TKOs until Don Mogard took him the distance. Most of Marciano's fights were in Providence, Rhode Island, until he made his debut in Madison Square Garden with a victory by TKO over Pat Richards in December 1949. Not common is how young Marciano was when he retired on April 27, 1956. He was just 32 years of age. Tragically, he would die in a plane crash in 1969, one day before his 46th birthday. And we already spoke about Roberto Duran. He's my number eight. And mentioned in the Thomas Hearns conversation was this KO of Roberto Duran. That loss came much later in the career of Manas de Piedra, Hands of Stone Duran. Go back to the start of the Panamanian-born champion, and you will find that he was the most feared lightweight in the world. To begin his career, Roberto Duran won his first 31 fights, many of them by knockout. On June 26, 1972, Duran won the lightweight championship by scoring a TKO over Ken Buchanan. His first loss would come later that year in a non-title bout with Esteban De Jesus by unanimous decision. De Jesus gave Duran another shot two years later, but this time it was for the title. De Jesus got knocked out in the 11th round this time around. That second fight, that second De Jesus fight was March 16, 1974, and Duran would not lose again until the Sugar Ray Leonard beat him in a rematch of their first fight just months before when Duran won the unanimous decision. From the De Jesus loss to the Leonard loss, Roberto Duran had won an incredible 41 straight fights, while Duran had been knocked out just four times in his 119-fight career. The Leonard KO can be dismissed because that was a result of the infamous Nomos conclusion. In their first fight, Sugar Ray Leonard had challenged Duran at his own game, trying to go toe-to-toe, and it backfired. In the second meeting, Leonard went back to his bread and butter, pure boxing, and added to it a little bit of showboating, such as a wind-up with one arm and then hitting Duran with the other fist. There was fancy footwork, and Leonard was just bedazzling Duran to the point that he flat-out quit after the eighth round. It was most definitely the biggest embarrassment of a Roberto Duran's career, if not ever, in boxing. It seems that once Roberto Duran strayed from the lightweight division, his career began to have a slight downside. After going 72-2, and two, including the Leonard loss, the remainder of his career would see Duran finish with a record of a 31-12 and 12 in his last 43 fights. Leonard and Duran would fight one more time, and this time the former lightweight champion did not quit but lost a unanimous decision, and this was for the super middleweight title. Roberto Duran fought for 33 years as a professional beginning in 1968, and over his last 10 fights, he won six and lost four. His career ended with a loss to the late Hector Camacho by decision while those two were battling for the NBA Super Middleweight Championship. But to be considered for this list, it must be a reflection of Roberto Duran's first 60-plus fights when he dominated the lightweight division and knocked out the biggest names in that division for that time. Leading up to the last time Roberto Duran defended his lightweight title with a TKO of Esteban De Jesus in 1978, he had scored a KO or TKO 44 of the 64 opponents he faced. This included a streak of eight and nine straight knockouts. 21 of Roberto Duran's knockouts during his career came in the first round. Another eight were second round stoppages. 41% of his knockouts came before the bell, ending a second round. As a lightweight, Roberto Duran lived up to the nickname Hands of Stone, and he surely is one of the greatest lightweight champions of all time. Carlos Monzon comes in at number seven. And unless you're in your 60s or a boxing historian like myself, the name Carlos Monzon might be a mystery to you. Let me introduce you to perhaps the greatest middleweight ever. 
Mention the word domination, and that would define Monzon's illustrious career. The man ruled the middleweight division from the time he became a champion and even before until he retired as a champion with a final fight on July 30th, 1977. In a career that began in 1963 with a second-round knockout of Ramon Montenegro in Argentina, Monzon's native country, the middleweight phenom would fight 99 more times and win all but three of the fights. Born Carlos Roque Monzon Ledesima, Monzon would defend the belt 14 times, a championship he won by beating Nino Benavunti by a second-round KO. His final defense and last fight were against Rodrigo Valdez, and Monzon retired as a champion. In the process of winning 87 of 100 fights, Monzon knocked out 59 opponents, or 68% of his victims. While he just lost three times, Monzon did have nine draws on his record and one no-contest decision. The no-contest in his second, just a second pro fight, his first loss was to Antonio Aguilar in just his eighth fight. A year later, 1965, Monzon would lose to Felipe Cambiero by decision to make his record at that point 11-2. Carlos Monzon's final loss came on October 9th, 1964 to Alberto Massey by unanimous decision, but he would later score a TK over Massey, this after he won the Argentine Middleweight Championship. Monzon also reverted the Cambrio loss, winning a decision in the rematch. He would also fight Antonio Aguilar three more times, scoring KOs and a decision. Thus, from October 9th, 1964, until he retired in 1977, Carlos Monzon would never lose another fight. He completed a record of 71-0-9 from the Aguilar loss to the final Valdez decision win. Unfortunately, Carlos Monzon had a turbulent and troubled personal life, having a well-known affair while still married and then had domestic violence issues with his mistress who would eventually leave him. His next wife he became violent with, and the result was her death at the hands which he was sent to prison for. In 1995, Monzon was permitted a weekend furlough from his jail cell, but upon his return to prison, the vehicle he was traveling in overturned, and Monzon was killed instantly. But inside the squared circle, his reputation of domination and knocking out opponents remains as his legacy, and based on his career in the ring, he is, in fact, one of the most feared fighters ever. Number six would be Marvin Hagler. Marvin Nathaniel Hagler appeared to be my favorite boxer when I was growing up, following boxing closely. I think I liked Hagler because of his mean mug and a bald head that made him look menacing. His skills in the ring made him one of the fiercest fighters of his time. His nickname came from a Lowell, Massachusetts Massachusetts reporter after the writer had seen him fight, but the name became legal in 1982 when Hagler went to the courts to have his first name changed to Marvelous because boxing analysts on television kept calling him Marvin. In a career that began professionally on May 18, 1973 with a knockout of Terry Ryan, Hagler began his climb to the top of the middleweight division by scoring knockout after knockout, moving up the ranks of the division one by one. After 17 straight victories to begin his career, Hagler faced a rematch with another Sugar Ray in boxing, this one named Sugar Ray Seals. Sugar Ray Seals and Marvelous fought to a majority draw after Hagler had scored a unanimous decision decision victory in their first meeting. Eight wins later, Hagler traveled to Philadelphia where he faced the cousin of heavyweight boxer Jimmy Young, one Bobby Watts. In a controversial majority decision loss, 
Hagler argued he won the fight. Four years later, they would meet again, and this time Hagler scored a TKO in the second round. In that same year, 1976, that Hagler lost to Watts, he also lost to William Monroe. And just as it was with Watts, the fight was his opponent's current residence of Philadelphia inside the spectrum, and the result was the same, a controversial majority decision loss. Determined to fight for the middleweight championship of the world, Marvelous Marvin Hagler will win his next 20 fights in a row, including winning the Massachusetts title for his division and the North American title as a middleweight. Campaigning and calling for a title shot, he finally got to one on November 30, 1979, when he challenged Vito Antifermo for the world middleweight title. The result was a split decision draw. The judges' cards only angered Marvin Hagler that much more as he felt disrespected and that the powers-to-be had been avoiding giving him a title shock up to that point. Meanwhile, Antifermo lost his title a year later, Britain's Alan Minter. In a near-immediate rematch, Minter won again. That was on June 28, 1980, just three months removed from their first fight. Alan Minter had no fear of the marvelous one and just three months later allowed Hagler to fight for the title, but in his home country of England in the famous Wembley Arena in London. In just three short and brutal rounds, Hagler picked apart Alan Minter, turning him into a bloody mess, and by winning the middleweight championship of the world, the fans in attendance were so upset their fighter lost, Hagler had to be rushed out of the ring and protected from the shower of debris being thrown down at him in his direction. Marvin Hagler finally had won what he wanted all along, the middleweight crown that would he would defend an impressive 12 times before Sugar Ray Leonard moved up a division to challenge him. Beginning in 1983, boxing's factions, WBA, the WBA, WBC, IBF, they began to change title bouts from 15 rounds to 12 rounds, mostly because of the death of Duku Kim in his bout with Ray Mancini. Thus, the fight between Sugar Ray and Marvelous, while, while a title fight, was scheduled for just 12 rounds. The super fight was held in Caesars Palace in Las Vegas on April 6, 1987, and I was a witness to the bout. For the first four rounds, and for some peculiar reason, Marvin Hagler was not as aggressive as he normally is because of Leonard's boxing skills. He eventually gave away the first four rounds. Then the tide began to turn, but I've always contended that had this been a 15-round fight, Hagler would have won. Instead, Leonard was granted a split decision victory, angry Mar- angering Marvin Hagler. And after demanding a rematch, Leonard retired after having come out of retirement for this fight. Sugar Ray Leonard would relent, and reportedly the match would have been would have netted Hagler around $15 million, but Hagler had decided he was done with boxing and preferred pursuing an acting career in Italy, in Italy, where he remains to this day up until the time of his death. In retirement, Marvin Hagler had left behind a 67-fight career in which he won 62 times, but he knocked out 52 opponents for a ratio of 78%, one of the highest marks in middleweight history. His reign as champion from 1980 to 1987 is the second longest in history. In regards to his legacy, marvelous Marvin Hagler leaves behind a trail of terror and earns his spot among this list. Now we go back in time for number five, and that would be Jack Dempsey. We've reached the top five scariest boxers of all time, and this calls for traveling back to the early 1900s and visiting the Manassa Mahler. Jack Dempsey earned the nickname as he hailed from the city of Manassa, Colorado, where he was born on June 24, 1985. Dempsey, as heavyweight champion of the world, would have a long life passing away at the age of 87 in New York City on May 31, 1983. 
It took Jack Dempsey a long time to win the championship, and when he did, he defeated Jess Willard in a historic fight on Independence Day 1919. After 60 pro fights, Dempsey finally got his shot with a record of 47-4-9, and Dempsey took away Willard's title in just three rounds. He would defend his title belt five more times until he met a fighter that was the Muhammad Ali of that era. Gene Tunney was a slick boxer with speed, just like Ali had become. And on September 23, 1926, Tunney outpointed Dempsey for the title. And in a rematch a year later, it was Tunney again. Dempsey's reputation of being a terrorizing brawler did not work against Tunney, but it did against 44 other fighters as he scored those 44 knockouts and 54 wins. Dempsey himself would be knocked out just once, that to fireman Jim Flynn in the first round of a fight held in 1917. Dempsey would return the favor years later, knocking Flynn out in the opening salvo. But in one of the most famous knockouts, Jack set Dempsey stopped Louis Furpo in the second round of their fight, 1923, but not before the challenger had hit Dempsey with a punch that sent him reeling backward and threw the ropes into the grandstands. A photo was taken of Dempsey uh, tumbling out of the ring, and that would become a world famous painting by George Bellows. Throughout his career, Jack Dempsey had several streaks of consecutive knockouts, including two strings of six, and then another 21 straight fights without a loss that also resulted in three draws in that run. Putting him on this list was a no-brainer as Dempsey fought in an era of men who were fearless but knew when they stepped into the ring with the Manasseh Mahler, they were in for a bout of violent exchanges. Down to number four and Sonny Liston, known as the Big Bear. Sonny Liston was an early version of George Foreman. Big, nasty, mean, and complete with power. With a knockout rate of nearly 80% for his career early on, Marty Marshall found a way to escape the bombs Liston threw, winning an eight-round decision in just the eighth fight of Liston's career. Liston would fight Marshall twice more, stopping him on a TKO in the sixth round in 1955, and then winning a decision over 10 rounds a year later. Once he knocked out Marshall in the rematch, Liston started knocking down opponents. The next four opponents were victims of a TKO, and then after the third match with Marshall, two more TKOs followed. Liston would build up to a 33-1 record when he finally received a title shot against then-champion Floyd Patterson. The result was brutal. In just one round, Liston iced Patterson, and then a rematch from that 1962 fight on July 22, 1963, same result. Liston's reign was not that long because on February 25th, 1964, the Big Bear accepted a challenge of a young upstart named Cassius Clay. Later to be named Muhammad Ali, many of Clay's handlers were a bit fearful of the hard-throwing, aggressive Liston. But as we all know, Muhammad Ali feared no one and had the utmost confidence in himself never seen before in a professional boxer. Ali had predicted he would knock out Liston in eight rounds, but he did it in six when the champion could not answer the bell for round eight. For round six. And in a rematch just over a year later, this time Ali took care of him in one round with an ending coming as a result of what many have termed a phantom punch. The word came in that this argument had been going on ever since then as to whether there was a fix or it was a real punch that landed. Ali, not known as a knockout puncher, he made uh, this much more this more suspicious. Because of the Ollie losses, Liston had an easy time with nearly every other opponent besides the Ollie losses. And when it came to the Ollie fight, Liston had such a terroristic reputation that even actor Hal March went public with his prediction saying, I think the fight will end in the dressing room. I think Clay is going to faint before he comes out. 
Well, that wasn't the case. And if you throw out all the other Ali fights, Sonny Liston remains one of the most intimidating fighters ever. And now we're down to the final three. And at number three is Joe Lewis. And when it comes to talking about the greatest boxer ever in the heavyweight division, it's almost always boils down to Muhammad Ali or Joe Lewis. Both fighters extended their careers perhaps a bit too long, but Ali probably more guilty of this than Lewis. But for the Brown Bomber, he fought 69 times, won 66 bouts, and knocked out 79% of his foes, which is 52 knockouts during his career. Lewis won one fight by disqualification, a fight with Buddy Bear in 1941, when Bear's manager refused to leave the ring in the seventh round. Joe Lewis suffered three defeats, but they were years apart. His first loss was legendary. It came in Yankee Stadium on June 19, 1936 at the height of Adolf Hitler's reign, and Germany's own Max Schmeling was the opponent. It was a non-title fight won by the German who scored a knockout in the 12th round. Of course, Germany and Hitler were reveling in the victory. At the time of his first loss, Lewis was undefeated with a record of 24-0. Only four of those first 24 fights went the distance. After losing to Schmeling, Joe Lewis would win his next 34 fights, including a championship victory over James Braddock on June 22, 1937, as the Brown Bomber scored an eighth-round KO. Lewis would then go on to the longest championship reigns in, stu- in history. Lewis had held the heavyweight title belt for 11 years and 252 days. Incredibly and almost unbelievably, Joe Lewis would defend his title 25 times. In doing so, he took, out, took on all comers, feared no one, and destroyed many. In this rematch with Schmeling, with which Lewis scored a knockout, the punches were so brutal, it left Schmeling prone on the canvas with his legs shaking, shaking from the onslaught. Joe Lewis knocked out all the boxers considered to be the best of his era. Schmeling, Jack Sharkey, Braddock, uh, Tony Galento, Billy Kahn, Jersey Joe Walcott. His only losses were to Schmeling and then losing the title by decision to Ezra Charles, only to never get another crack at reversing that decision. Following the Charles loss, Lewis fought just eight more times, winning them all, but he was clearly at the end of his career when he made the ill-fated decision to climb through the ropes to face a young tiger named Rocky Marciano. Joe Lewis was 37 when he faced the 28-year-old, Mar- 28-year-old Marciano, and The Rock was not yet champion. Marciano had the apprehension about fighting a guy he so much respected, much like when Larry Holmes fought Muhammad Ali. But the fight went down in Madison Square Garden, and unfortunately, Lewis was a shadow of himself, getting beat terribly and knocked out in the eighth round. Sadly, Lewis, who served in the Army and was a true gentleman, went through stages of financial difficulty and became poor, finally succumbing to heart failure on April 22, April 12, 1981, only 66 years of age. Physically, he appeared much older, and the difficulties of his life had taken their toll. His legacy is monumental. Lewis versus Ali would have been an amazing fight, put Lewis in against any other heavyweight in history, and he probably wins them all. Final two, George Foreman, number two, down to the two fighters, and the top two are arguably the scariest boxer in any division at any time in boxing's long history. George Foreman, known as Big George, was just that, big. His personality over the last 20 years or so is nearly complete opposite of how he presented himself early in his career. These days, his infectious smile is not what we saw from George Foreman when he was destroying opponents with power punches never seen before in the heavyweight division. Foreman's intimidating physique was enough to scare some men away. After winning a gold medal in boxing in the 1968 Olympic Games, Foreman turned pro, and immediately his power was on display. His very first fight, he scored a TKO over Don Waldhelm in the third round. Only Roberta Davila took Foreman the distance 
this one in his eighth fight. In his first 25 professional fights, George Foreman only had to go the distance three times to Davila, Levi Forte, and Gregorio Peralta. All others succumbed to the power most before round four. George Foreman's first title fight was the NABF belt when he defeated Gregorio Peralta in a rematch, this time scoring a TKO in round 10. Foreman would remain unbeaten until he got his first title shot January 22, 1973, against the reigning champion Smokin' Joe Frazier. While Frazier often appeared to be a muscular heavyweight, George Foreman made him look small. The result was one of the worst beatings that any sitting heavyweight champion has taken as Foreman knocked him down seven times in the most brutal fashion with one shot lifting Frazier off his feet. The new champion was crowned and jaws were dropping everywhere in the awe of the pure power of Big George. Foreman would defend his title twice, naturally by knockout. First it was Jose Roman, who had no chance and lost in the first round. Then a very good Ken Norton, who got blown away in two rounds. That was in March of 1974, and his next challenge came from a former champion named Muhammad Ali. The fight was held in Kinshasa, Zaire, and many believed Ali would be a victim just like everyone before him. Ali's handlers were nervous, some thinking he might get seriously hurt in the ring, but this is what made Muhammad Ali one of, if not the greatest ever, his improvisation. Knowing Foreman was such a big puncher, Ali came up with the strategy that is now a household term, rope-a-dope. Ali went out and laid back against the ropes and allowed Foreman to punch him at will, but most of those bombs were hitting Ali on the arms and shoulders. That, and by leaning back, the power of Foreman was greatly reduced. The strategy, in a word, was brilliant. Just as Ali had hoped for, Foreman tired and punched himself out to the point that by the eighth round he had nothing left, and Ali, who had reserved his energy, used it to pepper away at Foreman, eventually knocking him out. It was one of the most impressive upsets in boxing history. Following the fight, Foreman would quit the sport only to come back two years later and knock out Ron Lyle, then Joe Frazier again. With just that, Ali lost on his record. A spry Jimmy Young decisioned Foreman in 1977, prompting Big George to quit the sport. At least that's what we thought. Ten years after the Young loss, Foreman made an improbable comeback. With a 46-2 record, Foreman started his winning ways again, still with that historic power he possessed. 17 straight KOs or TKOs, as well as to force Burt Cooper to quit that fight, Foreman fought to a 10-round decision with Everett Martin before getting in the ring with another big man, Jerry Cooney. Cooney had obliterated Ken Norton in one round of the scariest knockouts you'll ever see after having disposed of Ron Lyon, Jimmy Young, by knockout. Foreman put Cooney into retirement with his second-round KO, this while being 41 years old. A few wins later, and the 69-2 and two Foreman took on the real deal Evander Holyfield in a title match, only to take Holyfield the distance and lose the unanimous decision. Foreman decided to keep fighting and put together three straight wins, only to lose to the late Tommy Morrison in a WBO title fight, this by decision. Despite that loss, Foreman was given the opportunity to fight Michael Moore for the heavyweight championship, and at age 45, by now this year, it was 1994, Big George shocked everyone by knocking out Moore for the title to complete a 10-round count and winning them back the heavyweight title he had held a very long time for the, before this fight. George Foreman had now been become the oldest man to win a heavyweight championship, and he would defend it three more times with wins over Axel Schultz, Crawford Grimsley, and Lou Savarese, only to lose the title in the final bout against Shannon Briggs, but only by a majority decision. George Foreman would go on to become a television celebrity, selling his famous George Foreman grill, among many other appearances. 
When he fought Briggs on November 22, 1997, he was 48 years old. Another crazy fact about Big George is that he has 12 children. That's right, an even dozen. Funnier are his son's names, George Jr., George III, who he calls Monk. Then there is Big Wheel, or George IV, Red, born as George V, or Red in weight, George VI, or Little Joey. You might be asking who names their sons all George. Foreman explains he did it because I named all my sons George Edward Foreman, so they would always have something in common. I say to them, if one of them, one of us goes up, then we all go up together, and if one goes down, we all go down together. Foreman is a fun-loving guy with a great sense of humor, so unlike his demeanor when he first turned pro, and that's what earned his way into this list because he was an absolute monster in the ring. And now we've got the final number one. And for me, it's Mike Tyson. We've reached the top of the heap. And for my top choice, it can be none other than Iron Mike Tyson, who may be number one on any other feared fighters list. That was probably because the case until his career began to slide after his first loss and perhaps the biggest boxing upset in history when Buster Douglas knocked him out in the 10th round of their fight. But up to that unfortunate night, Tyson had not lost as a pro and carried a record of 37-0 into the Tokyo Dome in Japan on February 11th 1990. Of his first 37 fights, only four went the distance, and every other opponent either got KO'd or TKO'd by Tyson. At that point of the Douglas fight, Mike Tyson was knocking out 89% of his opponents. But Tyson was not just knocking them out, he was destroying men. In those first 37 bouts, 23 were stopped by Tyson at a Tyson onslaught in either the first or second round. This included a string of six straight first-round knockouts and nine of ten in the first session between August 15, 1985 and January 11, 1986. What is incredible about Mike Tyson is that when his career began in 1985, the men that man had 15 fights in just 1985 alone. 15 fights. Fighters these days hardly fight twice every two or three years. This guy fought 15 times in 12 months. That's unheard of and downright nuts. In those first 15 fights, which he obviously won them all and won by KO or TKO, only Don Halpin could go more than three rounds and he could not finish the fight anyway, suffering a knockout in the fourth round. Before he had lost to Buster Douglas, Tyson had taken the distance with James Quick Tillis, Mitch Blood Green, James Bonecrusher Smith, and Tony TNT Tucker. But leading up to that night in Japan, Mike Tyson was so intimidating and some of his knockouts were downright brutal. KOs that immediately come to mind are his fight with Jesse Ferguson when he said, following the fight, what I always try to do is catch them right on the tip of the nose. That is because I try to push the bone of the nose right up into the brain. Yikes. This man just didn't intimidate people in the ring. His words outside of it were scary as well. It's known that Mike Tyson's bipolar, but for whatever reason, some of his talk when he was in the prime is just crazy. A great example of this came with his declaration following his destruction of Lou Savarese in the 2000. I'm the best ever. I'm the most brutal and vicious and ruthless champion that has ever been. There's no one that can stop me. Lennox is a conqueror? No, I'm Alexander. He's no Alexander. I'm the best ever. There's never been anybody as ruthless. I'm Sonny Liston. I'm Jack Stem Dempsey. There's no one like me. I'm from their cloth. There's no one that can match me. My style is impetuous. My defense is impregnable. And I'm just ferocious. I want your heart. I want to eat his children. 
Wow. I mean, that came after Tyson had lost to Buster Douglas and twice more to Vander Holyfield. Of course, boxing fans know what happened in the rematch of the Holyfield fight when Tyson bit part of his ear off of the real deal. That moment is probably the most unbelievable few seconds in boxing history, and Holyfield was scarred for life. Tyson was disqualified and had lost for the first time, uh, uh, had lost the first fight between these two, which was won by an 11th round TKO by Evander Holyfield. Tyson would eventually meet Lennox Lewis, and the tables were turned as Lewis was defending his championship and dominated and stopped Tyson in eight rounds. Following that, Mike Tyson would fight three more times and lose two to Kevin McBride and Danny Williams, who scored a KO in the fourth round on July 30th, 2004. But again, the early days of Tyson. If you get a chance to watch the replay of the Marvis Fraser fight, I watched it and was taken back by the brutality of how Tyson disposed of smoking Joe Frazier's son in just one round. Larry Holmes made the fatal mistake of jumping into the ring with Tyson, and Iron Mike simply beat the hell out of him. Frank Bruno took a terrible beating. Then there was Michael Spinks making a go of it and not getting past the first round. I watched that fight on pay-per-view television in Madison Square Garden, and before the bell rang, I knew Spinks was going to lose just by the look in his eyes. He looked scared. That's what Mike Tyson used to be able to do to his opponents. Unfortunately, I have always believed that the death of Castiamato, the firing of Jimmy Jacobs as his manager, and Kevin Rooney as his trainer cost Mike Tyson a chance to be considered the best. Once he hooked up with Don King, I believe this, that was the start of his downfall. Regardless, Iron Mike Tyson is well-deserved to be placed in the list of top 10 most feared fighters in boxing history. So I hope you enjoyed this top 10 list of most feared fighters in professional boxing. If you have any comments on this episode or any suggestions for Total Sports Recall, then I encourage you to send me an email at totalsportsrecall at gmail.com. You can also follow me at Twitter using my handle at TSRHarv59. I have a YouTube channel by the same name and my website can be found at www.totalsportsrecall.com. Next weekend, I'll have another podcast, so be sure to come back and take another listen to what I will be talking about next weekend. And so for everyone out there, I want to wish everybody a wonderful week ahead. The contents of this podcast do not represent the opinions of others and are solely the opinions of Harv Aronson based on his experience, knowledge, and research.